Welcome to the Food Lens Podcast. I'm your host, Katherine Smart, New England food writer and founder of The Not Just Company. And I'm your host, Molly Ford, co-founder of The Food Lens, your online resource for the best restaurants, bars, and events in Boston. On each episode of our podcast, we chat with restaurant industry insiders, digging into business, passion projects, and food trends to see what's shaping the New England restaurant scene. So this is a little bit different today. Normally, Molly and I get together and chat, and then someone comes into the studio, and we ask them lots of questions. But today, I am the solo interviewer of not just my co-host, Molly Ford, but her co-founder at The Food Lens, Sarah Jessup. I am excited to have you both here. I'm excited, too. It's a little weird because I feel like I've been practicing doing the interviewing, and now the roles are reversed. Yeah, is it strange being on the other side of the table? Yeah, it really is. I don't know how I feel about it, but I'm really excited <laughs> to yeah. be sitting next to my little Sari. Yeah, you have I'm your I'm really best. excited, too. Yeah, my other half at the Food Lens, and uh, now I can sit with both of my pregnant female friends. Oh, no, sorry. <laughs> I you might still birth. look a little bit pregnant, Molly. It's been 14 <laughs> days. It's been 14 days. Um, well, because you gave birth finally, we got you a little gift from the Food Lens. Stop it. So I would like you to open it. I'm reaching across the table, and it is this adorable little yellow um, elephant-studded ribbon white box. I wanted to bring a giant margarita, but we're not allowed to drink I hear that's frowned upon here at the PRX studios. <laughs> this is the second best oh. thing. Oh, it's so cute. It has pizzas all on it. <laughs> it's a little, um, not a onesie. What is it? Like a pajama. Yeah, a, a, little, a little pizza footy onesie thing. A little pizza thing. footy. I love it so much. And I was just saying, like, this poor kid, he's the second, so he just gets all the hand-me-downs. He's wearing, like, enormous clothing right now. I'm like, I'm not buying this stuff. You're going to grow out of it in two weeks. This well, is so cute. Thank you, guys. You're welcome. I don't you're know baby welcome. stuff. That's why I, you know, would have preferred to bring the giant margarita but I had you know got Sarah a involved. little help she yeah. helped Sarah. pick that out she knows all the babies Sarah <laughs> is expecting it in the zone right now so this was I'm, this is so sweet thank you guys yeah congrats I, congratulations we're yeah, so happy for you it's great to be on the other side it really is sorry that you have some time to go there Sarah. I know you will get I'm there. so jealous I can't <laughs> you will wait. get there there is hope no one is pregnant forever that's what people would remind me uh so this isn't the first time I'm interviewing you both I actually interviewed you over the phone uh, when I was writing for the Boston Globe because I stumbled upon the food lens and I was super curious and like skeptical because I liked it so much, which is how I like weaseled my way into a job here because I was like, wow, their editorial guidelines seem really legitimate. The photography is beautiful. Who are these girls and and what are they doing? So <laughs> I remember being so nervous. I was so nervous. That as was our well. first I know. real interview and. We were really scared. Yeah, we did it at my house. We were so nervous. You didn't sound nervous at all. You sounded very professional and (laughs) collected. Uh, And you guys are, you know, best friends from college. But I'm curious, how did you decide to start the Food Lens? Yeah, so I mean, honestly, it was a culmination of a lot of things. But we met in college and kind of bonded over a mutual love of all things food and travel. And throughout college and then afterwards, we spent so much time traveling together, both within the United States and abroad. And I think a central theme on most of those trips was food. And we kind of realized through all those experiences that food, it can really make or break a travel experience. So 
essentially, Sarah would do all the research on our trips. She would cross-reference local blogs, crowdsource sites, and really, you know, create this eating agenda for us. And it made so many of our experiences in all these different cities and foreign cities, for that matter, so much better. I mean, thanks to Sarah, we ate really good food, learned a lot about the culture by doing so. And, you know, we came back just so excited about that experience. I think one of the things we really learned was that in every place we went, especially the further away from kind of what we were used to, the only way to really find the best food was through locals perspectives and that was kind of something that stuck with us and so it kind of got us thinking like it can't be that hard to find good food in every city but it it really is and the research that I would do would take so much time and we kind of realized a lot of people a don't have that time or don't want to take the time to do that research and so you know they kind of fall back on a lot of those crowdsource sites which I mean not to say they're all horrible but They're definitely not as accurate as where the local people from different cities are actually eating and drinking. And so that was kind of where we drew the inspiration for the food lens was to kind of assemble like a local team of food and drink experts who really know the city like the back of their hand and love food. One of the things that I love about you and in the conversations that we've had is like how exacting and critical you you are about these food experiences um, and that is reflected in the food lens and how everything is is curated and that's where it's a little bit different than you know either a Yelp site where people are just kind of getting on there and spouting whatever they want to say and also different than a review because if it's not really good you guys are not going to put it on there in the first place so, yeah absolutely so how did you guys get to that decide to execute that vision? Like, how did you decide exactly what the format was going to be? I think, honestly, when we started talking about what we didn't like about all of the other sites out there, it was kind of made the most sense to us to not have a lot of information about places like why add places that aren't worth going to? It just so much information on the Internet. We didn't want to include all of the bad stuff and the good stuff and the in-between stuff. We wanted and it to makes it more it overwhelming. If you have all the bad and all the good, it's harder to weed through that and it makes it less user-friendly. And one of the things I think we both really feel strongly about our site that we do really well is it is really user-friendly because we've taken that entire chunk out. And so it's just the best places to eat and drink. It's that simple. Yep. And you can can focus on on the positive. Now, as far as starting the business, Molly, you moved across the country. We talk about you being a California girl a lot on the show. (laughs) Um, It's one thing to like hang out with your buddy in college and say, wouldn't it be great? (laughs) But you did it. So like, how did that come to be? I definitely, first of all, identify as a California girl still, (laughs) even though I've been in Boston now for almost 10 years. We decided Boston to be a great city to launch the food lens in because of, you know, how much the food scene has evolved over the last 10 years um, and the great sense of community here. We just we knew it would be a great city to start in. And for me, obviously, it was a really big deal to, to move across the country. But like, let's be honest, I did it once for college. I knew Boston. I was comfortable here. And I had my best friend who I was going to be working with. So it just made the <laughs> whole the whole move so much more comforting. Um, And you know what? I was still pretty damn young. And when you're young, you just kind of take risks and move and (laughs) make it work. So it was really exciting. And here I am five years later, and I'm really excited that I I took the leap of faith. 
We have a handful of years between us, but I sometimes talk to you like you're 15 years younger than me. I'm like, <laughs> the young, the youth, the freedom, enjoy it. <laughs> but it's true. It's true. Um, so I want you each to tell me three things. What has been the most surprising part of running TFL? What has been the hardest part? And what has been the best part? And Molly, you can start. I think the most surprising element of launching the Food Lens for me has been watching experiencing how much it's grown. Um, The idea didn't start this big. It was originally going to be a website with a much lower number of restaurants. Um, Very curated site. But I mean, we've grown the the amount of content we have now between like, you know, restaurants you should go to, bars you should go to, Q&As with chefs. Um, We have an entire page dedicated to events, food and drink events in Boston and beyond elsewhere in New England. Uh, We have a wine section dedicated to features about sommeliers. Uh, What else do we have? Cocktails of the week every single Friday. So uh, we have so much content and we're covering so much. I never expected to be so immersed in the food and drink scene like this. And I mean, now we have this this podcast together. So <laughs> here yeah. we are. So I think that's my biggest surprise, how how much bigger the food lens is than I ever expected. I think I would agree with that, honestly. And just if you asked us three years ago, four years ago, when we were talking about this and developing it, I think we had more of a path that we thought we would follow. And then we launched, and that just kind of went out the window. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But we rolled with the punches. Yeah. So what has been one of the harder things that you guys have had to overcome in this journey? Honestly, I think just the life of an entrepreneur. And the fact that it's just the two of us, and especially in the beginning, it was really just the two of us. And so it's really hard to judge whether or not what you're doing is going to be successful. Um, and so it's scary. And I think every day is different and you have really high highs and really low lows and some days you are you feel so good about everything and other days you're like what are we doing this is a horrible idea and Mm -hmm. and we're failing miserably and it's just when there's only two of you it's hard to gauge really where you're at especially in in reality yeah like where are we yeah like are people really liking this or is nobody going to look at our site and this is just a giant waste of time and effort and is nobody going to understand our vision? Yeah, I would completely agree. Not to copy Sarah's answer, but like every well, I day. I kind of copied your first answer. So <laughs> I mean, yeah. It's, They're best friends, We guys, finish each other's sentences. <laughs> that's how this thing goes. Um, but yeah, every day is an emotional roller coaster for me, truly. <laughs> and like I'm so married to the food lens that sometimes I take it way too seriously. You know, it's so challenging to try to have um, – some sense of equilibrium. But what I hear from all the like older, wiser, more successful entrepreneurs is always like you have to figure out how to, yes, enjoy the highs and like absorb the lows and take that feedback, but figure out a way that you aren't constantly on the roller coaster. Absolutely. So yeah. if you guys, you know, figure that out, please tell me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Easier I'm, said than done. I'm still yourself. learning, talking yeah. myself off the ledge, telling myself to enjoy, you know, the path to success or failure. (laughs) Enjoy the present, you know? So I'm working on it. Catherine, you know I love my wine, so I want to talk about Weinster for a minute. A whatister? Did you say wine? Because you know I am so excited to be drinking wine again now that this baby is born. Well, Weinster curates great wines from small producers in the U.S. You browse their collection of unique, hard-to-find wines, and then they ship it straight to your door with fast, cheap delivery. Is this a wine club, like those pricey fruit basket and Chardonnay things my parents used to pick out from catalogs, like back in the 90s? Definitely not. 
Weinster does have a club program with special member pricing for some of the best bottles, but there's no commitment and it starts at just $79 per shipment. Plus, unlike a lot of other clubs, the selections are from small production wineries. You have the option to repurchase your favorite bottles and you get 24-7 access to an expert wine advisor. Oh, and you get free shipping on wine gifts that you want to send to friends or family or... Co-hosts? Yes, co-hosts, like you. So you're telling me I don't need to pack up my baby or put on pants to get great wine? And when I finally do leave the house, I can show up to book club with something so much better than the usual grocery store swill? Exactly. So anyone and everyone who loves wine should head to www.weinster.com for more information. That's W-I-N-E-S-T-Y-R.com. You know, obviously there have been a lot of wins, so could you each tell me a favorite moment of the last couple couple of years? Well, I think more than just a favorite moment, but almost the flip side to what we were just talking about is just how much the community here has embraced the food lens and really understood our vision and welcomed us and just made us feel so confident in what we're doing. Yeah. Bostonians are like really mean too. So that is a big compliment. <laughs> we're not like particularly friendly, I guess warm so. people. Yeah, that New England air. It's yeah. Not, just, it's not like in San Diego where we're, we right. love everyone. <laughs> the user base we've grown. I mean, we're both really proud of it. We worked really hard on it. And it's kind of crazy to think that this idea started on such a small level. And now we have that many people that read our site on a daily basis. Yeah. And for me, I think um, I'm really proud of the team we've built. Absolutely. Um, Building this team was incredibly hard. I mean, we started with Craigslist ads and, you know, postings on Indeed and other freelance websites to find uh, writers, photographers, anyone and everyone that we needed. Um, And it all started with one uh, Craigslist um, bite, you know. I met a girl through Craigslist and she ended up introducing us to another writer who introduced us to another writer. And it took almost a full year to assemble our team, but we love them so much. We, do. we wish we saw them more. Everyone works remotely. So we'll have to get the gang together soon. You but... must really love them to give them adorable pizza ones. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we love you. <laughs> it, yeah, building a team is, you know, really hard. And uh, we talk about it with restaurant owners a lot, and that's you know, in some ways very different, but a team is a team. And if everybody isn't pulling their weight, then it's really hard to to get things moving. Yeah. And it can be hard because assembling this team is a little different than hiring, um, you know, people who are full-time staff, who are like Definitely. truly dedicated to your vision and business 24-7, like I am, like it's my right. baby <laughs> and I'm psycho about it. But, um, you know, we have to, I don't know, keep people excited and engaged. And I would love to see everyone more, but everyone's been amazing to us, our team members, being so dedicated and loyal, even though they're writing for other publications and, you know, starting new companies like you and having babies. And there's a million other things going on in their lives, but um, most everyone from day one has been incredibly dedicated to our vision. Yeah, we we really do have a great team. We're so lucky. Thanks, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, okay, so everybody wants to know how the sausage is made. So how do you decide which restaurants make the cut? And I want to know if you've ever vehemently disagreed on including a spot. Well, so it totally depends kind of on the different content we have. But if we're talking about, you know, our full-length restaurant features, our spots, that's the most vigorous process that we have. And so with that, we basically make sure to visit the restaurant enough times where we're eating the majority of the menu. 
in order to make an informed decision about whether or not we feel, A, the food is strong enough, and B, what our most favorite dishes are. And then we take that information, we give it to a writer, they have a chance to go experience a meal, just like we did, and then they write about it from their perspective. It's quite the process. That's bonkers, editorially. And I just have to say, as someone I know who's it written is, for but... all kinds of magazines, in the best way possible. Like, I think a lot of people on the internet don't understand that if they look up a restaurant feature on a blog, like, that person, A, was probably paid to write that, or at the very least were receiving a free meal, um, and they went and they wrote about it. And it is, like, the absolute opposite, which is what attracted me to the Food Lens Um Well, that's the other big thing with us that we don't ever expect a free meal. And when we're first vetting a restaurant, we never, first of all, tell them why we're there. And we don't accept trade for coverage. And we feel really married to those two things because it makes us reliable and authentic. Yeah, we don't want the red carpet treatment. You know, that's what that's what we get frustrated with when doing restaurant research in other cities. Um, Is this an authentic, you know, iteration of the experience that I might have at that restaurant. And, you know, what did help us with this process is the restaurant research started before we launched the food lens. Absolutely. I mean, let's be the honest. majority of those places <laughs> we had been to so many times that since 2007. Yeah. yeah. So Sarah had a restaurant Bible in a Google Doc uh, <laughs> that she had well before I moved here. That was like kind of the bones of the food lens before we even knew what the food lens was. So This research has been ongoing for a long time, and uh, we just constantly make sure that we keep our pulse on the food and drink scene here. It takes a lot of research daily to make sure that we're keeping up with it. But I think that the most important things that we always make sure to follow is not to tell the restaurant we're coming in and not to accept free food to alter the experience and to really make sure that we are trying the restaurant more than once on more than one occasion, not just one thing on the menu. And another thing we always follow is we never add restaurants until they're open for a full year because so much can change during that first year. Anyone in the restaurant industry knows that. You can have great nights. You can have horrible nights. And so we just don't feel as if adding restaurants within their first year makes a whole lot of sense because we want to give them time to iron out any problems. Yeah. I'm curious, uh, and this is selfish too, I want to know, like what is your long-term vision for the food lens as much as you can say or want to say? Yeah. I mean, I don't want to reveal too many details about what we have going on internally, but I would love to see the food lens in other cities. It seems like a really <laughs> giant workload to take on but you know we would just need more Sarah's and Molly's around the country or world (laughs) and we've kind of started that with our escape section Mm -hmm. and to add on to that I think what we've really realized is we want to highlight those secondary food and drink cities that just don't get as much attention but have these amazing food cultures and I think there are so many cities that are really overdone and we're not looking to do those we're looking to find the places that are almost the hidden gems around the country that people might not know as well, but have amazing food and drink. Yeah, those cities that don't get enough culinary love. Yeah, and I think what's interesting about places like that is oftentimes once you have boots on the ground there, you find such a passionate group of diners Mm -hmm. and, you know, citizens who are just so excited to see, you know, they intimately know the restaurant owners and they have their spots that they go back to. And it's really kind of heartwarming to give a deserving business the love as a writer and then also to see just like how proud and supportive um, I'm banging the table, which is going to interfere with (laughs) with, uh, the recording, but I'm so excited about this. Um, 
it's exciting to see that love from from the customers. 100%. And we've seen that thus far uh, through creating our our, you know, guides or our escapes. So it would be incredible to see that on a larger scale with the food lens, you know, launching in other cities. But right now, we're in Boston. Yeah. <laughs> We've still got work to do here. Yeah, we do. Uh, well, I want to thank you guys both for for coming in. And I mean, Molly, you're usually here, but <laughs> Sarah, for coming in. And uh, I just think it's fun sometimes for people to see what goes in um, to the food lens sort of behind the scenes and how these spots get picked um, and just learn a little bit more about the two of you. Uh, so I do want to finish with our rapid fire round, but we're going to do things a little bit differently this time. We are, instead of you telling us your favorites, we're going to do it uh, like a wedding shower. And I'm going to ask Sarah questions about Molly and I'm going to ask Molly questions about Sarah. Okay. okay. Pressure's uh, on. Pressure's on. So Sarah, what is Molly's favorite dumpling in Boston? Her favorite dumpling? She loves the spicy Szechuan dumplings from Bass's Cafe. 100 100%. I know I you're telling it. the truth because Molly's like <laughs> laughing and rocking back oh and forth. Oh my God, a I bit. love those. <laughs> okay. And Molly, what is Sarah's favorite dumpling? Ooh, I mean, I don't know if I know Sarah's favorite dumpling in Boston. She does love Gourmet Dumpling House, but I've I've eaten Sarah's homemade dumplings. She makes dumplings. So maybe that's I'm her favorite. I'm less of a dumpling girl than okay. Yeah. And you're also a prolific home cook, which a lot of people don't know. <laughs> yeah. Sarah's a really good cook. With all of the eating out that, that occurs. Molly, what is Sarah's favorite dive? Does Sarah go to dives? I don't know. <laughs> not really. She's not I'm much not of a, a dive super dive girl. <laughs> now let's harken back to uh, sophomore year at Boston University. Oh, well, that's Sarah. so easy. There's got to be Okay. Daisy Bees. That's where we spent like the majority of our nights together in college. That is where we spent. Okay, the so that yeah, RIP for both of you guys. I'm assuming. Hundo. Yeah. Right. Hundo, I miss it every day still. I know. <laughs> there needs to be a comeback. Yeah. Um, favorite date spot. Where does Sarah like to take bread? Oh my God, this one's easy. Oh yeah. It's true. They love Oh Yeah. And not that you go that much these days. Uh, it's a little hard they with used the raw be... fish thing while pregnant. Yeah. yeah. They used to be regulars. Okay. All right. And where does Molly like to take her man? That's a little harder. I feel like they're always bumping around we and do. going from place to place. They we don't really have one spot, although they are Yvonne's regulars, but that's <laughs> more of my thought. I was yeah. like, tomahawk But that's drink less craziness. of a date night spot. That's more of like friends and just a normal night. Okay. But for date nights, they actually don't have a spot that they go back to. They are always on the move. She's on the grind. That's 100% true, yeah. too. <laughs> yeah, we're regulars at Yvonne's, um, but that's, yeah, more fun, less romantic, and otherwise we're just exploring anywhere and everywhere for dating. I mean, it's food lens research, so yeah. I'm doing my job. <laughs> yeah, she really gets around. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> benefits. Benefits of the job. And I guess the last one is uh, dessert. So, Molly, what's Sarah's favorite dessert? Um, You know what? She does have a sweet tooth, and she loves cookies. She loves trying cookies at various bakeries. That's true. Um, so I would say she really loves the um, the molasses cookie at Sofra. Very right? true. Um, love that one. I also used to love the baked Alaska at Oleana. That is probably my favorite dessert in Boston, yeah. I have to say. That is okay. an iconic Boston dessert. It yeah. really is. And it's not usually the dessert I would go for, but they just do it so well. Yeah. Okay, Sarah, what is Molly's favorite dessert? She's not a huge dessert girl. 
She really is not huge. She would much rather go and have tacos and a Diet Coke. Yeah, <laughs> I'm a savory girl. She's Give me a, a hamburger girl. and okay. then tacos. Like. And that's not to say she won't eat sweet things because we have a lot of research to do. And I'm always like stuffing something sweet Anything in her face. Anything for the job. Yeah. But <laughs> it's not her. She is much more savory than she is sweet. Yeah, so give me something you know, salted, like salted chocolate, yeah. caramel situation. Put some, throw some savory in there. And, and so anything with peanut butter. Oh, yeah. Ooh, okay. Very true. You can make her a dessert girl if you throw peanut butter. <laughs> some salt, some dark chocolate, some peanut butter. All she right. can get into it. Catherine, have you signed up for our monthly newsletter? Molly, I'm embarrassed to say that until recently I actually hadn't. I thought I was on top of all things TFL, but it turns out I was missing out, especially on the cocktail recipes. Well, I'm a little offended it took you this long, but every month we highlight new content, ranging from drool-worthy can't-miss dishes to neighborhood guides, cocktail recipes, upcoming events, and more. And you and Sarah throw the best events. I'm waiting with bated breath to see if you do Valentine's Day again this year. I am still thinking about the charcuterie boards and the raw bar. Well, now you'll be the first to know since you actually signed up. To sign up, just go to thefoodlens.com and click on the subscribe button in the upper left-hand corner. It's the best way to avoid food FOMO in Boston. This podcast was produced by Ali Pham. A special thanks to the folks at the PRX Podcast Garage. If you enjoyed what you heard, please write us a review on Apple Podcasts or share the show with friends and family. Your help means so much to us. If you haven't already, subscribe to the show and check out thefoodlens.com for the best restaurants, bars, and events in Boston.